the Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge, brought to you by the world's leading underground construction equipment company, Ditchwitch, proud to support the sports you love. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined by the host of Bass Edge Television, everybody's favorite angler, Aaron Martin. Would you quit that? We haven't even got started, and you're already on one. <laughs> hey, I'm in a good mood, man. It's spring. we got a great show. Who do we have? We have FLW Pro Terry Baxay to talk about fishing clear water, and then a little bit later under the Inside Edge segment, we're going to have Ronnie Bickham of Santone Lures to discuss some of my favorite techniques, and that is the jig and the spinner. Oh man, that's good stuff, and I'm in the mood to talk fish. Let's get it started. Get her like that one, boy. Good job. Yeah, I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing better. Oh, did you see yes, that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. <laughs> Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? Yeah. That's full contact fishing right man. there. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Don't you just feel it, Aaron? Love is in the air. You know, I've been driving around, and it seems like everywhere I go, there's turkeys gobbling and strutting out in the fields, and the songbirds are chasing each other around the yard, and of course, that spring dance that's going on in a lot of our lakes. Well, I, I know one thing I can't mention as far as the, the love part of it is concerned, but I can tell you my love of fishing is certainly uh, starting yeah. to get the itch, because like you said, I mean, it is obviously that time of year. The fish are heading to the banks, uh, regardless of where you're at in the country. It's doing nothing but getting better. Well, it's spawning season in a lot of the country. And, of course, you know, that varies. I mean, some folks have already seen that come and go, and some of our folks in the north, you know, they their, their spawn will come along later in the year. But, you know, it's spring, and, and fish are uh, moving into spawn. The males are building nests here around in the Midwest where we're at. And it is truly one of my favorite times to fish. Spawning has to be one of the most exciting times of year, like you mentioned. And I know, Steve, that's something that's near and dear to your heart because obviously growing up uh, down in Texas, you had the opportunity as as a youngster all the way through now to where you've had the opportunity to target a lot of spawning fish. And, you know, I can't help but think back to last year when we went up to there at Patoka in Indiana. Do you remember that? And, and we had the anticipation of thinking that it was going to be more of a pre-spawn and those fish had moved into the bank and, and put that trolling motor on high and found those beds. Um, man, it, it doesn't get any better than that. Well, it doesn't, and folks that had not seen that show need to look back at that, because that was a great example of just the excitement of spawning. I mean, you guys were like a couple of kids in a candy store, but, you know, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, for years and years when I lived in Dallas, I would take my vacation on the full moon in March to go chase those bass. And for me personally, catching spawning bass, it wasn't just about the fact that it was a time of year when I could find fish and catch fish, but I just think it's so neat to watch how a fish acts. And to tell you the truth, I think you can learn a lot about bass watching them behave on the bed and react to your lure that you can sort of apply to the rest of the year. That's a very good point because a lot of times, you know, we're we're mainly fishing throughout the course of the year for a, a reaction or a feeding type strike. And, you know, when you think about the, the spawning uh, situation of what's taking place, you put that bait in its bed. It's not really striking that bait for a food source. It's, it's doing it from a defensive mechanism. And there's some little tricks and things along the way, you know, Steve, that you've learned very well 
that of, of how to get these fish to, to react to what you're offering. And, and it can be pretty challenging. It can, but I think that, you know, spawning fish is, it really is when you talk to a lot of really, really good anglers, they use a lot of different baits for, for spawning. But personally, I have always leaned toward lizards and some of the creature baits. And, and the reason is really not so much, like you said, it's reaction. They're not eating. They're, they're reacting to defending their bed. And for me personally, the more little curly cues on a bait, the better I like it because that allows me to get that bait in the bed and sit there and just wiggle my rod and all those little tentacles. It looks alive, but it tells that bass. It doesn't move and it tells that bass. I'm not going away, and forces their hand to, to uh, guard their nest. I would agree with that. I mean, you know, fishing those creature baits that have the appendages, obviously those little movements, and, and it really doesn't take a lot of movement to make those things look alive. And certainly I feel that the bass has the perspective that something is invading the nest to try and, you know, forage on the eggs, and uh, it aggravates the fish, and, and they want that out of there. You know, they're basically defending that territory. And, you know, when I think back of, of some of the other baits that I use, uh, and the tricks that have come into play, you know, I actually experimented. You remember back in the day when it was very um, kind of in vogue with the tubes and you would take, you know, mm -hmm. different Alka-Seltzer and, and some things like that and put in the tubes and it would create this fizzing action and it cause the bass to react. Or there again, a drop shot. We've talked about this time and time again for fishing vertically, for fishing, you know, in vegetation. But a drop shot is another bait that you can actually make a cast with. And because the weight actually hangs below the bait, you can bring that in allow that weight to be setting kind of on the edge of the bait and bring that drop shot whether it be that worm or that uh, minnow type bait that you have on the end of that and just sit there and barely shake that and almost create kind of that suspended action right above that nest and they just do not like that <laughs> and that's a great idea i've never done the drop shot thing on a bed and i love that of course you're mr drop shot so that's not surprising i know you love to fish that technique in a lot of ways but uh, you know i think that's what it's all about and uh, i'm going to catch a lot of flack from some anglers but i just feel like most fish the vast majority of fish on a bed, you can catch eventually if you have enough persistence to stick with them. Now, sometimes it doesn't make any sense to sit there and work on a fish for an hour when there's fish all around you. But I think that uh, that's just the nature of what's going on. I think you can certainly help that this time of year by the way you approach the beds and, and not, not spooking these fish. There's a lot you can do wrong. You know, I like to get up cruise with the trolling motor or find beds and then get away and come back a little later in a very slow approach very stealth approach and almost kind of sneak up on them which you really can't do but just the least disturbance you can provide to that fish uh, the better uh, and the better your chances to catch him quick absolutely and i think that's where the electronics comes into play you know when you pull into a pocket and searching you know making that initial hunt for where the beds are and, and locating fish that are holding, you know, there's there's a lot to be said by finding those and then coming back. And if you set a waypoint on your GPS unit and go through and, and find several beds, maybe in a pocket or an area of the lake, that gives them time to relax and, and calm down. Because one of the things that we know when the fish are that shallow, 
we know that's one of the the attributes that fish really like to and bass specifically like to feel that sense of security well you know when you're roaming out there in a 20-foot boat or, or walking down the shoreline and you're at eye level with them you've got to account for that is not a natural occurrence uh, for the most part, they're not used to, you know, to seeing that. And I think if, if you can do exactly what you're saying, give them some time, then come back, put that trolling motor on low, that's going to put you in a better situation to have success and being able to catch those fish. You know, your point is so great about the, the waypoints. And I think a good approach to spawning fish is in the morning when it can tend to be cool, go find your beds. And as the day warms, the water warms, our cold-blooded animals will become more active. Now, I believe your bass that are spawning are kind of locked into what they're doing. But if you'll notice the fish on the bed who is having to like chase brim and stuff off of his bed, that's the guy that's the most mad. That's the gal, I guess I should say, that's the most mad and uh, the most aggressive. And I think as the day warms, the bass is forced into more activity, more bed guarding because the brim and the other egg predators tend to become more active. So find your, you know, find your beds in the morning and go back and catch them in the afternoon. That can really work great. Yeah, no question. And the other thing that I want to throw in there, too, of course, we're talking predominantly about sight fishing, you know, to where we're actually sitting over top of the fish, looking, making eye contact, seeing their their behavior and their movements. But the other issue is when you're in a dirty water situation or, or maybe you have some wind and you can't see very well is making what we call those blind casts. And I've had several times to where the spawn is definitely happening. You know that it's there, but you just can't quite have the visibility uh, to be able to set over top of them. And that's another very intriguing technique that I like doing, Steve, is making those casts to the areas to where I know maybe I've seen those beds before just based upon past experience to where I know this is a spawning area and kind of saturating and making fan casts to this area, you know, targeting them with maybe some sort of Carolina rig and a lizard or, or something along those lines. You know, and when you're doing that, you can be a little further away from the beds and the areas and you're not spooking the fish. And I think you got a better opportunity to get a, a first cast bite that way. And you're right. I mean, I know there's a lot of guys out there that their concentration is to try to get that first cast bite. And just again, to reiterate, I think it comes down to persistence, you know, and, and speaking of persistence, Steve, I was actually, I was at a, a local uh, trout park over the weekend. Um, mm-hmm. place called Dogwood Canyon. I know you're very familiar with it, oh, but yeah. uh, took the family out, had some nephews down, and we, we it's kind of along a, a stream there and uh, did some biking and some things like that. But I thought of you because they were actually putting together a casting class for fly fishing. And, you know, I've got to say I was extremely intrigued. You know, I sat there and was almost mesmerized at the the action and and the technique that they were having to use to to cast these flies i'm gonna win you over yet my friend (laughs) (laughs) you know it's funny you say that because uh just this last weekend i saw a television show uh gosh over the weekend sometime with with my good buddy Dwayne hayda and uh, of course he's the best fly fisherman i know and he did the illustrations for my book but he was showing on the show this fly he was tying to catch smallmouth bass in our local streams and of course the locals call this they call them uh, uh, river slicks i haven't looked up to see what the real name of those things are but they're just uh little brown minnows and i've been tying some of those up getting ready to go down and catch some small mass on these streams that might be a good introduction for you to fly fishing well i am certainly ready and you know i had the opportunity to spend some time with uh with an angler more advanced angler that was there uh fishing that day and he kind of went through his flies and i was asking him questions and it just amazed 
amazes me the amount of attention to detail that goes into those flies. And certainly had a great time, and I look forward to it, man. Uh, you've got to, yeah. you better get your schedule because I'm, yeah. I'm telling yeah. you, the time's it's, running it's, out. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of fun. We will do it. I was looking at the water levels, and we got two inches of rain this weekend, so we're going to have to wait a few days, or it's pretty dangerous out there. But uh, anyway, Aaron, I guess we could talk about this all day, but we've got some work to do. So let's slip away for just a brief break and come back and talk to Terry Backsay about fishing clear water. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches Zon, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. All right, we are back on The Edge, and joining us this week for the Angler Spotlight is FLW Touring Pro, Mr. Terry Baxay. Terry, thanks so much for being part of The Edge. Oh, no problem. Anytime. We were sitting here kind of visiting, I guess, right before we got kicked off on the interview, and I, I didn't realize that uh, you're up from kind of the Candlewood area. Yes, I live up in uh, the Northeast, lived there all my life, and uh, my wife is, she's lived in Florida for a few years. She would love to move back, but boy, it's hard for me to live, <laughs> leave those smallmouth up there. Well, I, you know, that that would definitely be hard to do. You've got the trade-off of having the warm, warm water down in the south and, you know, being able to target the the big uh, Florida strains earlier in the year, but I tell you, when the timing gets right, ice gets off, uh, it's got to be lights out on the smallmouth. It really is. I mean, every day that I have home, when I'm home for a week at a time, I'm probably fishing four of those days out on the lake, whether I'm just out by myself fun fishing, just for fun, I guide a little bit and I take people out, but it's so enjoyable to catch fish and you can catch them in so many different ways. And our, you know, we have a relatively clear lake that right near me, Candlewood Lake, that I fish a lot. Winnipesaukee's about four hours away. Champlain's about four hours away. So I get a pretty varied uh, fisheries to go play with. Are those, uh, you know, of course I've been on um, Champlain. Uh, before in the area. Predominantly, are the waters in that area clear? They're relatively clear. I mean, Winnipesaukee is extremely clear. I mean, we can see, you can see fish bedding on the bottom in 25 feet of water, which is pretty neat to wow. see. My home lake, Candlewood Lake, has about six foot visibility or so, but relatively clear body of water. Not as crystal clear as Winnipesaukee is. But Winnipesaukee is just kind of like Thousand Islands clear, exceptionally, exceptionally clear water. Obviously, you have a lot of experience fishing clear water. What are some of the things that you use to really put you in the driver's seat, whether it be, you know, when you're out recreationally fishing or even competitively? Because, you know, for the most part, I think anglers are a little bit intimidated by clear water. A lot has to do with understanding the fishery, knowing what what the fish are eating, what their forage is, and knowing what the forage is doing at certain times of the year, and realizing that you know, I make a lot of long casts. I don't necessarily use light line with that clear water. You don't really need to. It's really more of making long casts and understanding what the fish are wanting to eat and what they're doing at each particular calendar period in the year. And is are those, you know, the techniques that you apply really across the country in clear water? 
Yes, the same things. It's it's pretty funny. I can go to a beaver lake out in Arkansas, which is extremely clear water, and I can do the same techniques that I have on my home lake or that I thrish up in Lake Winnipesaukee or Champlain or any of those lakes. They really do apply, i.e., you give you a, an example, throwing a bright colored jerkbait. My favorite colored jerkbait to throw in clear water is a bright pink Rapala X-Rap. Absolutely love the bait. What I call the Mary Kay bait. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Everybody makes fun of me when I throw that thing. But you know what? The fish can see it for miles away. And this is the way that I, I look at it. Smallmouth bass are essentially their sight feeders. As are spotted bass, they seem to be pretty much sight feeders also in a clear water situation. Lake Lanier also is another clear body water with which I've used it. But that pink bait, they can see it for miles. The chartreuse baits also, that's where the chartreuse spinnerbait with the chartreuse blade started up at Lake Winnipesaukee up in New Hampshire. Danny Correa started that. And we've been doing that every clear lake that I go to, I can catch fish with it. Well, and back up to what you said earlier, I, I thought was was a key comment that I want to elaborate a little bit more on, but you said understanding the fishery. Can you expand on what you mean by that? That's a pretty broad subject <laughs> there. So realize in the northeast where I live, the perch, the yellow perch, they spawn as soon as the ice gets out. They start going into the shallows and they start to spawn. So what are the big smallmouth and largemouth going to do? Well, they're going to feed on those perch. It's relatively easy for them to catch them. It's good food for them. It's got a lot of protein in it and they like eating them. Then as the season progresses a little bit, we have what they call alewives. Well, the alewives are a pelagic bait fish, meaning they, they roam quite a bit. They move. So that's why when people say, oh, I went smallmouth fishing and they were off this point on Thursday and I went back Saturday for the tournament. I never had a bite. Well, there's a reason for that because what they were eating on, their groceries are gone. So they got to go find new groceries. So they went with the bait and henceforth, they're not on the same point that you were fishing before but understanding the moving bait fish and also understanding that in clear water i fish a tremendous tremendous amount for suspended fish in other words i'll be sitting in 30 40 feet of water throwing a jerk bait throwing a crankbait i'm fishing for those fish which are way 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 off the bank and a lot of people don't mess with them in a lot of the lakes i see everybody they just go down the bank and they're fishing the bank you don't need to do that get offshore a little bit use your lawrence electronics and see what's out there and see if you can find those humps or find those drops a lot of our lakes that we have they're man-made lakes so there's stone walls that are coming into the water there'll be foundations there'll be houses like on, on candlewood lake we fish an area called the cemetery it actually has gravestones down there we fish another place i call the junkyard which just has stuff that's been bulldozed in there when they built the lake and it's just bulldozed into piles of rubble and i mean you can't if the bait hits the bottom forget it just tie a new one on don't even bother to get it back but those are the types of areas that you try to look for and that's where you can catch your fish but knowing what the fish are doing and being able to study your map study your electronics and do a little homework and it'll make your even if you just a little bit of homework navionics have made it so that the maps are tremendous that are in the boats right now that are on you put in your electronics they have stuff that you can use on the internet i know navionics has something that you put on the internet and you can look at a lake before you even go there so you can identify spots you can mark them on the on that and you just transfer that data right over to your electronics and you're good to go. So specifically, uh, because all of that is great information, you know, Bass Edge came out with the electronics DVD a little bit earlier this year and, you know, that thing has been just instrumental, I think, in getting a lot of anglers to understand what they need to look for. Can you tell us when you look for these offshore places, is it normally humps? Is it normally structure? Uh, does it depend on, on the time of year? A lot depends on the time of year. The bait fish 
they'll be up higher in the water column earlier in the year, dropping down as the year progresses. So what you're looking for on a hump or a foundation or something like that, you're looking for an area which has a bit of a drop to it. So the fish might be on top of the drop, they might be on the edge of the drop, sometimes they'll be on the bottom of the drop, but knowing where the bait fish is, and normally you can see the bait fish pretty easily on the depth finders, especially when you have a big shad population or an alewife population or even a smelt population like they have up at Lake Winnipesaukee, which is a very, very deep fish. They can go extremely, extremely deep, but sometimes a smallmouth will follow them and go down that deep. And often, you know, we spoke about that you target uh, the fish in clear water situations with a crankbait, with a jerkbait. Is that something that you do year-round? Essentially year-round. I mean, the jerkbait, I'll throw it year-round on almost all the lakes that I fish. I'll throw a, a crankbait almost year-round. My favorite way to fish is... is is to throw a jerk bait, but my second close favorite is to throw a topwater. It's just amazing in those clear bodies of water. You can throw a topwater in 30 feet of water and have a fish come up from the bottom and eat that topwater bait because the water is so clear. The smallmouth are sitting there looking up and they see something hit the water and they just look up at it and they see it moving like essentially like a, I use a skitter walk which makes as a, a, a one knocker essentially goes back and forth on the surface, walks the dog. And mm -hmm. what you're, the fish are doing is they're seeing that and all of a sudden, when the fish want to commit, they're going to commit. They're not going to come up on the top water and just kind of look at it. If they're going to come up from 30 feet of water, they're coming up to eat it. And that's one of the things that I do in real clear water. That's why I'm making long casts. If I'm fish sitting in 30, 40 feet of water, fishing in 15 to 20 to 30 feet of water, what I'm doing is I'm throwing a shallow running bait sometimes just to make the fish commit because if they do come up from that depth, they're not coming up to look at it like they will if, if you're throwing it in shallower water. They're coming up and they're going to eat it. Sure. Talking about clear water and, and throwing the top water in that, what about as far as, you know, you have those days, those bluebird days, and maybe there's not a lot of wind and you, you get those flat water conditions. How do you approach that? That's the best possible day to throw a topwater bait. They just absolutely love that because their surface does not have any clutter on it. There's no distortion. They can actually see what is going on. They can target that bait a lot better, and you will pull up those fish from a greater distance. And that's one of my favorite times to fish. People hate that. Now, in springtime, what I want is I want the wind blowing about 40 miles an hour all day long because I can throw a jerk bait, and it works better if you do that. Mm -hmm. But in the summertime, give me dead calm the, any day of the week, and I'll just take that. Do you ever apply, a, you know, where you set over and fish vertically, like in a drop shot situation or, a, you know, a spoon or anything like that? Use a drop shot quite a bit, but really what I'm doing is playing video games then. I'm actually looking for the <laughs> fish. That's what I call it. You Best really, video game on earth, That's right? it. You're seeing the fish down there. You drop it down. If you can see a smallmouth on the screen, you can catch that fish it's essentially it's, it's a done deal just throw anything down there a, a drop shot i throw a little like a lunker city bakes a little two and a half inch finesse fish which is a great the bigger ones are great baits everybody knows about them and the sluggos well i throw a little two and a half inch one just looks like a little minnow just drop that on a drop shot drop it down there and most of the time if you notice when you're seeing a fish like that that bait won't hit the bottom before that fish eats it i've seen several times to where uh, you know we call them streakers it's all of a sudden like uh, you're watching your bait go down and you get to realize that uh, your clock is about to be clean because uh, all of a sudden you see this streak coming up on your graph to eat. That's the best. Oh, boy, when that happens, that's <laughs> it. Just hold on. Getting chills talking yeah, about it. Yeah, that's it. it. Um, now, you know, obviously we talked a lot about offshore structure, and like we had mentioned before, you know, 
those are really areas I think that often get overlooked. Plus, that adds, I guess, less pressure. That's one of the neat things. Everybody in the springtime, they all want to just go down the bank, and I see people fishing right on the bank, and they're fishing, their boat is sitting where the fish actually are. If they just moved out a little bit into that little bit deeper water, they can still maybe reach the bank, and that's fine, but just sit out a little bit more, and that way on your way back to the boat from the bank, you actually will be able to target a lot of those fish that they're sitting, been sitting on top of. What about as far as, you know, vegetation and clear water? Is, does that ever come into play, uh, you know, where you're, you're doing this the same type or, or do you change it up when you have you know a lot of vegetation in a body of water when they have the vegetation what they do is a lot of times like the fish the suspended fish they'll use it as an edge they'll use it as something to target to get the bait fish to push the bait fish against that edge they'll use it like that but normally when you have clear water and you have vegetation you can just flip for those fish or pitch for those fish with whatever you want to fish with just like you would in dirty water situations but don't forget in the clear water the weeds are going to grow quite a bit deeper so 15, 17 feet of water, you'll have weeds grow. And like on Winnipesaukee, they have what they call skunk grass, which grows out in 30 feet of water, 40 feet of water. And it just comes up about two inches above the bottom, but the smallmouth just loves sitting around in that stuff. If you can find that stuff, you throw like a big football head or a Carolina rig to find it. You can find that stuff, you're going to find smallmouth. And, uh, you know, really on our closing uh, minutes here, uh, you spoke early on about line and really not paying attention, let's say, to size of line. Uh, what about type of line? Fluorocarbon and fluorocarbon and more fluorocarbon. Seaguar fluorocarbon is in Visex, if you want me to get exactly specific. <laughs> If I'm going to use a topwater bait, obviously I'm using monofilament. Mm -hmm. But if I'm using everything else that I throw, completely 100% fluorocarbon. Why are you using fluorocarbon? Uh, there's two reasons. One, it's invisible. Two, I have actually, believe it or not, I used to be a psychologist. I actually have a master's degree in psychology, used to be a psychologist. I'm a really, really, really big believer in this whole thing about your mind. If you have the confidence that that fish isn't seeing your line, then you should use it. If you're, you want to use yellow line, then go ahead. If you want to use blue line, go ahead. I have tremendous confidence that when I throw that bait in the water with fluorocarbon, that fish is not seeing it. So therefore, that's what I use. Well, and, and you know, that ties in. It's funny you bring that up because obviously uh, part of our staff is Dr. Jay McNamara, who handles the in the zone and you know his book is the psychology of exceptional fishing and uh confidence definitely plays a big role i don't care mm -hmm. if it's in line baits or spots yeah that's totally what it is everything is confidence it's all but between your time management and your organizational skills but the confidence in what you are doing you can't just go out like somebody somebody who doesn't like that they don't like to say throw a carolina rig well you can't go out and throw it all eight hours and really have confidence that you're going to catch fish with it you got to fish with your strengths that's Absolutely. the most important thing well terry thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be part of the edge uh look forward to talking with you again soon and best of luck in the upcoming season thank you very much anytime Power, productivity, speed. It's the best trencher ever made, not to mention the best plow. Dumper, tiller, backhoe, stump grinder, and tool carrier ever made. The Zahn, the revolution is here.
Now you can harness the full power of your boat electronics and catch more fish. Introducing Electronics 101. Whether a beginner or more advanced, leading electronics instructor Mike Webb shows you how to get the most out of any sonar unit. Common problems and frequently asked questions are covered in detail. Electronics 101 also includes bonus deep fishing tips from industry pros. Master any brand graph. Order your DVD by calling 888-390-8780 or online at BassEdge.com. This is Pam Bolton, and you're fishing with Bass Edge. And that is just all such valuable advice that Terry has for us. You know, it's funny, Aaron. As bass anglers, how often we're out trying to seek out the clearest water, but then at other times, the clear water can offer some real challenges in catching fish. You know, that is an interesting fact when you think about it. You know, we, we spend half the year chasing down clear water to get away from, you know, the, the dirty stuff. And and then other times, uh, we, we spend half of our time running away from it. And I think it really comes down to, I think Terry hit the nail on the head. It comes down to the fact of getting past that mental block and, and just really taking confidence in that you can catch fish that fish live in clear water. At that point, it's so close to home because, you know, as we talked before, I'm an old Texan and I grew up fishing those lakes down there. And, and what's clear in Texas is quite different than what's clear up here in the Ozarks. And the first time I went out on Table Rock, I looked down into the water and I thought, my goodness, I don't have the right stuff. This water's so clear. I need to downsize, and I need to get some some smaller fluorocarbon line. Well, and and I can remember, Steve. You know, you think of the the South traditionally being you know stained, dirty water. And the first time that I went down into Florida and in those areas where they the lakes have a lot of vegetation. I looked at the guy like a deer in the headlights, you know, here we're setting holding 50-pound braid, you know, with a big one-ounce punch weight and uh, some sort of creature bait to go through these mats. You know, you're you're sitting here thinking that, that what we've been taught is that when you have clear water, you've got to downsize, go light line. But the reality of it is that those fish are reacting, and they see that bait coming crashing down through maybe an overhead canopy of matted vegetation or through the weeds or something like that. And really, that's exactly what they're doing. They are reacting to it. And if we can really just build upon that, like Terry said, and throw that whole mental block away for our day of fishing, that is going to put us in a better situation, you know, to be able to capitalize and and have some success while we're fishing clear water situations. Oh, man, that's so true. You know, you just need to get in that mindset. To me, sort of a parallel example is fishing a buzz bait. I don't think it matters what kind of line you put on a buzz bait. The thing's moving so fast, and that fish is just reacting to it. And to me, that seems very similar to what you're talking about, the reaction bites as you're punching through the mats of vegetation. Well, no question. And, you know, certainly I can remember, you know, times where I've I've gotten bites to where I'm just scratching my head in, in a clear water situation, throwing a big bait. But when you think about clear water, one thing you've got to keep in mind, those fish can see that bait a lot farther off. So in an essence, you're kind of increasing your odds of what we talk about high percentage. You know, when that, that strike zone is larger, they're going to travel a lot farther to get that bait because they can see a lot farther. Well, that is so true. But I'll tell you what, Aaron, I know I, I have a little bit of an advantage in fishing clear water. What's that, Steve? I got you close by. <laughs> now, see, I, I, man, I, I'm like the, the infamous fish right there that just totally took the bait yeah yeah you've got me all the right buzz bait. yeah well, yeah I, I threw it on 60 pound braid dude right and and i've got you for the trout 
situation. So, you know, if they ever come up with a combination tournament of trout and bass, I guess we're set, aren't we? Yeah, if they ever do the combo tournament, we're all about that. But uh, I tell you what, you know, we've been talking clear water and spawning, and we got a great question this week from Jason uh, about spawning. Boy, we do. And Jason, thanks so much uh, for sending that in. And that's going to be answered by none other than the pond boss himself, fisheries biologist Bob Lusk. And what Jason wants to know, he states that he caught a seven-pounder off the bed the other day. Congratulations, Jason. That is an excellent Mm -hmm. fish. But he wants to know, now that the big female is gone, will another one take her place on that bed? He said, I'm kind of new to the whole sight fishing process and would like to know what happens after the fish has vacated the bed. The podcast is awesome, so keep up the good work, guys. And that is from Jason. Well, Jason, thanks for your kind words about the podcast, and thank you for listening. Bob writes, females come to the bed when their eggs are ripe and ready to be fertilized. She only stays long enough to lay her eggs, and then she leaves. The male fertilizes the eggs as they are expelled. Then he pushes them to the center of the bed where he stays and helps keep them clean until they hatch, become swim-up fry, and go off to seek their fortunes. When the female finishes depositing her eggs, she goes away. And it's not unusual for another female to come along and lay eggs in the same nest with the male who is guarding it. Most of the time, the male actually goes out to seek another female, although he never ventures too far from his nest once he's swept it clean. So the direct answer to your question, Jason, is that yes, another female will come to the bed, especially if the male works to seek her out. Well, that's good stuff. And one thing, you know, to throw in there, actually two things. One is when they are guarding the fry, a very, very effective technique is to take like a soft stick bait, you know, something like a Cinco or that. And any time that you can pitch that in there, kind of weightless, maybe wacky style, and you see those fry scatter, or maybe it's spawning shad, mm-hmm. you almost are guaranteed a bite because when those females and those males that are in close proximity to maybe it's the males that's guarding you know the fry they do not want anything to come remotely close to those fry so that is a is a a, a good answer i think from bob and the other thing steve we've got to remember conservation mm-hmm. that is a good point and i'm glad you brought that up aaron because you know we talked about once that fish is gone and and actually, we would like to see that fish go back to that bed and, and, and lay those eggs. You know, that female bass, that's the future of our fish. And, when and you know, she's a really big fish. That's these great genetics. Let's go ahead when we can and handle that fish as carefully as you can, get her back as quickly as you can. And you watch when you release her. She'll go right back to that nest and continue that spawning act. Yeah, that's certainly an interesting statistic because I've seen it happen many, many times. I have too. And so let's uh, let's always keep in mind the future of fishing. Well, I'll tell you what, Aaron, let's slip away. I'm anxious to hear what old Ronnie Bickham has to say. Let's take a quick moment and we'll be right back here on the edge. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Hi, I'm Denny Brower, and you've got the edge. 
All right, welcome back to The Edge. Most anglers agree that jigs and spinnerbaits and buzzbaits are, are really some of the most effective lures in our tackle box. But the interesting thing is that not all are created equal. You know, oftentimes that the materials used, the designs of the baits, color combinations, all of those different things have a tremendous effect on our fishing day. And joining us today to help shed some light on what to look for when making those purchases and evaluations of the baits is the Pro Staff Director of Santone Lures, and that is Ronnie Bickham. Ronnie, thank you so much for being part of the Edge. Aaron, it's great to be here, man. Well, you know, Ronnie, I know that Santone Lures has been around a, a very long time, and, and really you guys spend a lot of time on the water doing research and development, kind of trying to constantly improve, you know, do those little uh, changes to the baits. But what makes a jig and a spinnerbait, you know, in this case, Santone, different from the other hundreds of jigs and spinnerbait companies that are out there? Aaron, that's a great question. You know, the, the fisherman uh, out there is the one that usually answers that question. If we can't make a product that uh, that, that, that they like and, and they uh, can depend on, uh, that will hold up, and, and especially it will catch fish, then, and they're not going to buy them. So we spend a lot of time matching uh, our uh, size of our bait, matching the uh, blade combinations and those things, and putting to- together a-, a bait, Aaron, that uh, is hand-painted, hand-laminated, the best skirts, gamma got through hooks, the best swivels, that that thing will run right out of the package just like it's supposed to. It'll catch fish after fish that you don't have to readjust it. Uh, on the jigs, the same kind of situation where our hand painted, hand laminated uh, uh, jigs will, will will hold up against the rocks, against the wood, against the grass, against the the brush, and be good uh, day after day on the lake. And and you don't have to cut it off, throw it away, and tie another one on. And we just feel like it's a quality product. We use the highest uh, products that we can find in the industry, and we always keep looking for that better gadget to make our baits better. The other thing is, Aaron, that separates us is we don't go off in all kind of different directions. We basically do jigs and spinner baits and buzz baits, and we uh, that's what we do, and, and so that's what we're going to try to uh, improve on now every time we go out. Well, and Ronnie, with that exclusive focus, you know, that brings uh, certainly some advantages, like you speak of. I mean, because by you totally focusing on jigs and spinner baits, I think that helps you uh, do some things that other companies that maybe have a larger offering um, aren't able to do. But what advice can you give us when selecting the best combinations, you know, head design, color combinations, weights, blade combinations, all the many things? You know, you wouldn't think that jigs and spinner baits become so uh, complex in those choices. Can you help us sort through that? Well, it's pretty easy. When, you know, you just can't reach down and open your spinnerbait box and drag one out and, and catch fish in a lot of occasions. I know uh, that's been proven uh, over and over in, in tournament fishing in the, in the last several years. Not that most spinnerbaits don't catch fish. It's one of the most versatile baits out there uh, used by just about everybody in the country. And uh, we're going we're gonna to downsize. We go from a quarter ounce to an ounce and a quarter and even an ounce and a half. Uh, if you're fishing uh, the ledges and the drains in Elmstead, you need that thumping blade. You can get down there about 30 feet and slow roll that thing down there. If you're fishing ledges in Kentucky, like you've got to do the same thing. But if you're fishing uh, the rocks and edges in, in the shallow uh, entrance of, say, Texoma or Lake Washita, you need that smaller quarter-ounce uh, bait. You need to match the fry color with the spinnerbait color or, or the skirts, the head. Uh, Red River, uh, throw in a small spinnerbait versus uh, the three-quarter ounce, say, uh, running the deep grass Rayburn. So from all those different combinations, uh, we're going to make something, 
And we're going to get out there and throw it to the technique and to the spinnerbait or the jig is catchable. We're going to do that uh, for just about every lake available. And, and one thing about us, Aaron, we're not going to just make uh, that spinnerbait or that jig uh, for our locality, and it's not going to be a general bait, a general white or a general chartreuse or whatever. For instance, our tilapia color that we make especially for Falcon and Amstead is one of our largest sellers. But we'll do that for any area of the country. If you have a specific price size for specific color uh, that, that we can make accommodation for, we'll do it for you and ship it to your area. And I think that puts us in a different category than a lot of people that just mass produce these baits. Well, you know, it really does. It's kind of almost like uh, getting a, you know, customized paint job on your car. And, uh, you know, that, that really That's correct. You know, it really gives, gives some advantages to that. And, you know, another thing is that flipping vegetation thick cover i mean i think that's that's got to be one of my favorite ways to target bass but you know oftentimes we spend a lot of time talking about these new super lines you know the the big 50 80 pound you know braided line that's like you can't break it and i think that when you consider that and apply that to say jigs uh some of the texas rig baits that we're throwing you know hook failure is a little bit of a concern, and how do you guys address that issue, you know, given these, these new lines that, that are out? Well, that's, that's an easy answer there. That's our uh, Gamagatsu 5-alt-6-alt hooks that we use in our jigs and spinnerbaits. They're an extra heavy uh, jig hook. They're sharp out of the package. You don't have to worry about sharpening them. They're just an outstanding hook. As I said, you know, the things that we use to build our product is uh, top of the line. For instance, at the Strand Tournament this year, uh, we're fortunate enough, one of our pro staffers, uh, won the tournament on a three-quarter ounce jig, dragging the drains there. And he had right at 39 pounds on the final day. He's dragging through rocks and brush and everything else. I was also in that tournament. I, I was forced to come in 25th, and I was dropping deep bushes with the same jig, pulling them up through the, that bush with the 80-pound test line, and not one time did we ever uh, have a hook failure or anything else. I mean, it's, that's really have not been a big problem with us we're going to use a hook that when you set the hook in the fish is not going to break the hook hey ronnie one other thing too is because i mean i want to make sure that we get this covered before we get out of here is i think a lot of us take for granted the importance you know of the positioning of the eye on a jig and its orientation to the head why is this a, a critical factor you know when you're fishing well, a jig uh, Aaron, that may be one of the most critical things now in, in the santone jig especially our rattler jig uh the way our heads are shaped and the position of our eye lets that jig stand up on a little harder surface. Uh, if you're fishing that jig uh, out there on on those ridges and things like that, uh, that bait's going to stand up. Uh, whatever trailer you're putting on uh, behind it, uh, it's going to it's going to stand up and really be attractive to that bass. Uh, the next thing is it pulls through your grass, it pulls through your brush. I pitched that jig for years and years and pitched buck brush on Toledo Bend and Sam Rayburn. And uh, I'm telling you, that that jig will pull through the brush better than any jig on the market. And when you get a hook set in it, if you have to have a chainsaw to go get the fish out, you can go get the fish out because it's not going to break off on you if you're using a strong enough line. But the eye position, especially on that rattling jig, is the most important. You know, on the football head jig, that's mainly made, you know, a lot of dragging. Uh, especially, you know, in those rocky lakes where you drag that jig along there and you got to have a different uh, eye set for it. But uh, the others, uh, the, the the big rattle hog, we have a, a different eye for it because that jig 
deep water ridges, pitching an uh, ounce and uh, punching through that deep grass, that takes a little bit different. So we we have a little different eye set on uh, each one of them for each specific thing that they do. And, you know, I think that takes it a step further because, you know, when we were talking earlier about selecting the right jig, not only does it come down to the color combination, you know, rattles, no rattles, but I think it's interesting of how, you know, how much that the eye placement and the relation to the head, how much that comes into play based upon the type of cover or, you know, vegetation that you're fishing. You know, in our last minute, Ronnie, what about as far as the type of wire that's being used, let's say, on the spinner baits and buzz baits? Because I know that really transfers over into, you know, the vibration that comes across, you know, in, in the water. Can you talk a little bit about that before we get out of here? It, this is an added expense that a lot of people uh, scrimp a little bit on when they make their spinner baits. Uh, we use stainless steel wire. Uh, we used to uh, upgrade the stainless steel that uh, hadn't been being used uh, by Santone, you know, four or five years ago because this just wasn't on the market. Uh, this wire really keeps, with the swivels we use, keeps our blades where they turn true right out of the package. And, and the most important thing is you can catch fish after fish on it, and you don't have to readjust your spinnerbait. You don't have to worry about this spinnerbait rolling on you. Uh, you can run it uh, as fast as you can. It's not going to roll on you. You can drag it in 30 foot of water, and it's not going to roll on you. They're just going to hold up their quality allures. If you've ever been out there in, in those river bottom lakes and you caught a couple of gremmels, they call them shoe picks in some states, they could tear up a, just about anything. And, and a spinnerbait would be one of the things they could tear up. And I've caught shoe picks or gremmels on these uh on Santone spinnerbaits before and never had to readjust it. And so uh, that'll tell you right quick when a when a 40 or 50 pound catfish will get on there and you don't have to readjust and, and, and you can go back and fish that same bait. And that's important because most time on most spinnerbaits, you got to throw it away. Well, certainly good information, Ronnie. Uh, we do have to get moving on. But before we do, I know one thing that I for sure want to mention you're kind of in the process of building a, I guess, a pro staff um, here, what, in, in about three or four states? We're looking for good fishermen that, that uh, can tell people what they're catching them on and, and, uh, and, and promote our product and, and also that they'll do the research on our product because when we get something new, we like to give it to our pro staff people and, and let them fish it and see what they think about it because that's the people that's got to buy it, those people that use it every day. And, and we're working to put together about a 20 fishermen pro staff. I've got that about half filled, especially here in Oklahoma and Arkansas and, and Texas and Louisiana. And then we're hoping to spread out uh, throughout the uh, United States. And, and uh, instead of just being a regional bait, we, we would like to get in the markets all over the country because we feel like our bait is uh, deserving of it. Well, that sounds great. How can our listeners find out more information, maybe perhaps uh – or Santone Lures, getting on the pro staff. Um, what's your web address? Well, our web address is www.santonelures, that's one word, santonelures.com, www.santonelures.com. Uh, under that, uh, we have a great website with all our products and all our colors and and again, you could go to our website and get uh, uh, specially designed colors, and, and we do special design baits for a lot of people, you know, and a lot of people won't go to that trouble, but we will. Also, there's a, a pro staff uh, click on that, uh, that if you would uh, interested in you think your services would uh, do well for Santone to click on there and, 
and contact me and send me. I'll tell you where you can send your resume, and uh, and we may get you established on there. Uh, so and we we do a lot of things for our pro scout people, but actually, you know, we're looking for fishermen that really like to fish and and uh, and that are like out there in the forefront and especially the up and comers. But uh, we take the old timers too. Well, one thing, Ronnie, you are in the right place. Uh, certainly, I think everybody at the Bass Edge audience loves loves that fact. And, you know, the other thing, Ronnie, is that we appreciate is, is the information, the education that you provided us concerning jigs and spinnerbaits. But we do have to run. I look forward to talking with you again in the future. As always, best of luck, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Aaron, thank you, and I appreciate your interest in San Antonio Lewis. Now you can order Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage, over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at BassEdge.com. we wrap this thing up, why don't we give something away? That sounds like a good plan, Steve. We have Douglas from Highland Springs, Virginia, who is going to receive a copy of the infamous author. And get ready, we need a drum roll. You still haven't got those sound effects. But not to be confused with Ernest Hemingway now, but the Somebody's Got to Do It book by Steve Brigman and a Bass Edge decal. So congratulations, Douglas. Look forward to getting that. Yeah, yeah, you're infamous, right? <laughs> oh, no, I guess it depends on who you ask. <laughs> well, you know, you got to be able to receive it as well as you can give it, my friend. That's so, right, that's well, right. enough of that. Uh, we need to get on with the show. Who do we have up next week, Steve? Man, we're going to hear from the voices of experience. Guido and Stella Hebden have a behind-the-scenes look at their 40-year partnership in bass fishing. Well, I look forward to that. I can remember growing up as a youngster and always uh, anxious to get my most recent copy of BASS and see what uh, Guido was up to. Certainly, he has uh, went on to do some amazing things. But mm-hmm. be sure to join us for this show each and every week. Also, don't forget, Bass Edge Television can be seen three times weekly on the Outdoor Channel at 8 a.m. on Thursdays. 9 a.m. on Fridays, and Saturday afternoon at 2.30 Eastern Time. Also available on the World Fishing Network and Wild TV in Canada. For the latest Bass Edge information, merchandise, and for an opportunity to win prizes and ask the pro questions, be sure and log on to BassEdge.com. For Steve Brigman, I am Aaron Martin, and we look forward to seeing you again next week right here on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edges, The Edge, has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Ditch Witch, Mega Wear Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.